Hello and welcome to the Family Planning Files, a podcast developed by the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning. I'm your host, Katherine Atchison. In our podcast today, part of our ongoing series, Coding with Anne, we'll be discussing common miscodes or coding mistakes for LARC services and how they impact revenue. Our speaker, Ann Finn, is a healthcare reimbursement consultant and national trainer with many reproductive healthcare organizations and heads her own company, Ann Finn Consulting, LLC. Welcome back to the podcast, Ann. Thanks, Catherine, and thanks for joining us. Welcome to our new listeners, and welcome back if you listen to other podcasts in our Coding with Ann series. We're very excited to be able to offer these focused coding sessions to provide you with some tips and guidance to help you effectively capture and code for your services, resulting in both appropriate and timely reimbursement. Today's podcast will focus on commonly miscoded LARC, or long-acting reversible contraceptive services, which includes both IUDs and implants or Nexplanon. As we know, improper coding of services may lead to a reduction in reimbursement or an unintended overpayment of services, which may open a provider to payer audits and payment takebacks when billing for services. Both are detrimental to a practice's fiscal health, so we want to avoid this and code these services right the first time. When coding and billing for large services, we need to first properly and fully document the services provided during the clinical visit. Did the patient present not knowing what form of birth control was the best fit and therefore receive family planning counseling as well as a LARC method? Perhaps she presented for a scheduled LARC procedure after receiving contraceptive counseling on a prior visit a day or two ago. Or maybe she presents for a LARC procedure, but there is another issue that is also tended to during the visit. Each of these scenarios takes place in a busy family planning clinic, and each scenario would be coded and typically reimbursed differently. So let's start with Maggie. She is a 19-year-old female patient who recently became sexually active. Maggie is not sure what method of contraception she would like, so she and the clinician discuss a variety of methods available, their effectiveness, potential side effects, and other related topics. After discussing her options together, Maggie decides she would like an IUD. Maggie has administered a urine pregnancy test, which is negative, She is also screened for chlamydia and gonorrhea, which will be sent out to the lab. The clinician inserts the IUD during the same visit, which is a best practice. And then the clinician documents 20 minutes total time on the date of the encounter, excluding the IUD insertion and other separately reported services, such as the in-house pregnancy test. So what codes would we need to capture and bill for this visit? And where do we sometimes see miscoding? First, we need to capture the medical visit and contraceptive counseling and tell the payer that that service is separate and distinct from the actual LARC insertion. Depending on the extent of services provided and the codes the payer accepts, the clinician may code a preventive well visit evaluation and management or E&M code, such as 99385, or an office or outpatient problem-oriented E&M code, such as 99203 or 99213, or a preventive counseling code based on time, such as 99401 or two. But these codes are often reimbursed at a lower rate than the others, so I don't see them coded as frequently. E&M codes that are miscoded can result in an under or overpayment. So it's really important to select the correct code for the visit. So what kind of miscoding factors can clinicians watch out for? 
Good question. There are a few things to look out for. First, catch right type of visit code like we discussed. Preventive, problem-oriented, or preventive counseling. Second, is the patient considered new or established to the practice? New patient visits are typically reimbursed at a higher rate than an established patient. So we have to think about this as we choose a code. And finally, we have to ensure we are capturing all the elements such as time and medical decision-making in the documentation, or we may not code the visit properly, which we'll talk more about shortly. Another big item we'll discuss is when the clinician overcodes a separate medical or counseling visit on the same day as a LARC procedure that wasn't really separate from the procedure or misses coding it altogether. We'll talk more about that. So can you explain what defines a patient is new or an established patient within a practice? Sure. According to the current procedural terminology or CPT instructions, a new patient is one who has not received any professional services from the physician or qualified healthcare professional, such as a nurse practitioner or another physician or qualified healthcare professional of the exact same specialty or subspecialty in the same group practice within the past three years. This includes prior face-to-face services such as counseling, medical visits, or surgical procedures. Improper coding of new versus established patients may also impact payments, so this is important to be accurate here. So how would a clinician know if a patient is new or an established patient when they're selecting the codes for a visit? Sometimes that's a challenge, especially in a large multi-specialty practice. A best practice is when the electronic health record pulls this information to the top of the chart note and clearly labels the patient as new or established or identifies the date of the last service. A provider I worked with a while back had a patient name, new or established, and the date of the last visit at the top of the chart note. Often the provider looks back through the medical record for prior visits, and sometimes the front desk pulls it together this information. I've seen situations where a group was miscoding patients as new regardless of their status, and as a result was overbilling visits, which is a big no-no. Preventive EM well visit codes are also based on the patient's age during the visit. These codes are pretty straightforward to assign new versus established and how old is the patient. Problem-oriented EM codes, on the other hand, are a little more tricky and take some thought on the clinician's end to code properly. These codes are assigned based on either one, the clinician's total time on the date of the encounter, excluding other separately reported services such as a LARC insertion, or two, the clinician's medical decision-making involved in the patient care. The ENM guidelines were updated last January 2021, so it's important that you and your clinical team are familiar with the changes and how to assign codes properly. When I review charts, what I often am seeing is the clinician still documenting just the face-to-face time based on the old ENM guidelines, which means you are not capturing all the time that they spend on the encounter, such as reviewing prior visit notes, lab results, documenting the visit in the EHR, ordering contraceptives and lab testing, follow-up coordination of care, and so on. You can see how easy it would be to undercode the visit here if you don't count all the time in your basis. It's also a best practice for the clinician to document both the total time and the medical decision-making level and then pick the higher code if there is a difference for each patient's visit. One method does not fit all visits, so you can interchange each method. 
Just make sure the codes are supported in the documentation. Performing internal audits or hiring a coder to review a sample and provide feedback is always recommended. Let's get back to Maggie's visit as a new patient and calculate the ENM using medical decision making. She presents seeking contraception to avoid pregnancy or a single low-level problem. Maggie had an in-house pregnancy test and was screened for chlamydia and gonorrhea. You can only count the two send-out tests as data. Remember, point-of-care tests don't count when calculating the data level. And some clinicians and coders overcount here. Finally, the third MDM element is risk. And since we ordered a prescription-level contraceptive, this qualifies for a moderate level of risk. We put the three elements together, low, low, moderate, and then we select the ENM code based on the highest two that meet or exceed a level. So this visit would count overall as a low level MDM for medical decision making. We would use the code 99203 since Maggie is a new patient or if she was established 99213. We have a podcast in this series that you can also listen to that focuses on the new ENM guidelines relating to family planning visits for more information. You mentioned earlier that clinicians sometimes overcode or miscode for a separate medical visit from a LARC procedure. Can you explain what that looks like? Yes. This is a big area I see miscoding, with often due to poor documentation. Remember, we can only code for an evaluation and management service when it is separate and distinct from a procedure. If the patient presents for a scheduled insertion and has her vitals taken and question answers, that alone does not constitute a billable separate service from the procedure. The first step is the provider should clearly document the counseling that took place, such as reviewing all the methods and the decision to insert a LARC when it's the same day. When I am looking at a LARC visit documentation, I find it helpful to look at the prior visit note and check if the family planning counseling and decision for the LARC was already done. When we bill for the ENM along with the procedure and the biller needs to add a two-digit billing code or modifier to the ENM service to tell the payer the ENM was indeed separate from the insertion and to pay both services. When the modifier is missing, the payer often bundles the services together, which leads to reduced reimbursement. For Maggie's visit, we code the IUD insertion CPT code 58300, the LARP device supply code, the point of care pregnancy test, and an ENM or counseling visit code with a modifier 25. Typically, the lab bills for the send out tests like chlamydia and gonorrhea, but these tests may also need to be included on the claim if you are paying the lab directly. We also need to attach the ICD codes to each service or CPT codes to describe the what and the ICD codes to describe the why. So let's recap what we potentially see miscoding for Maggie's visit. First thing is missing codes. For Maggie's visit, we would need an ENM code for the contraceptive counseling plus the LARC procedure code plus the LARC device plus any point of care tests done during the visit to ensure full reimbursement. We see over and under coding of ENM services based on new versus established patient status. Over and under coding of ENM services based on the medical decision making or total time. I often see missed modifiers to tell a payer special circumstances impacting payments. And finally, missing ICD-10 codes to support the medical necessity of each service provided, such as a Z30.09 for the contraceptive options counseling, a Z30.430 for the IUD insertion, and a Z32.02 for the negative pregnancy test. 
Let's look at our second scenario. What if Maggie presents for a scheduled session? Our clinician reviews potential side effects and answers any of Maggie's questions and then inserts the LARP. Should the clinician report an E&M along with the LARP insertion? In this case, the answer is no. The E&M in counseling was not significant and separate and distinct from the procedure. Part of performing a procedure includes reviewing any questions. Billing an E&M here would be a case of over-reporting of services. Depends on what happens though. Let's say our patient was still very unsure and the clinician spent time going over all the methods with Maggie or addressing another problem. In this case, we would want to capture and bill for the E&M service. The clinician should clearly document the counseling and issues and attach the proper ICD diagnosis codes to support the work. The documentation should clearly tell the story of what is happening and why to someone other than the clinician who is reading the note. What if Maggie presents to have her IUD exchanged for a new one? IUD reinsertions require two CPT codes to be reported for proper reimbursement. We would report both the CPT code 58301 for the IUD removal and then CPT code 58300 for the IUD reinsertion. What happens if we submit these codes without a modifier to tell the payer we are reporting multiple procedures? So without a modifier, 51 or sometimes 59 for multiple or distinct procedures appended to the lower paying service, the second procedure typically bundles into that first procedure and does not pay separately, resulting in an underpayment. With the correct modifier appended, a second procedure will typically pay 50% in addition to the full payment for the first procedure. Missed codes for removals also means missed revenue. Sometimes the clinician forgets to capture both codes. You know, I've seen that multiple times. So ensure that there is a CPT code reported for every service documented in the medical record. What if Maggie's having a LARC inserted and the clinician needs to stop the procedure due to Maggie possibly feeling too much pain or the device is unusable, like a broken arm or missing string? Good question. We would still bill for the procedure, but again, we need a modifier to tell the procedure a special circumstance. Hey, we attempted the procedure, did a lot of work, but we needed to stop. By appending a modifier 52 or 53 for a reduced service to the LARC procedure CPT code and coding ICD-10 code to explain any complications, a payer may often reimburse a significant portion of the expected payment for a failed insertion. If you bill for a full insertion and then the patient presents for a second attempt at a following visit, a payer may reject that second claim in full as a duplicate service. Not all payers will reimburse for multiple devices, so check with the payer for their policies along with contacting the manufacturer for a replacement device. Let's talk about the implant or Nexplanon codes. IUDs, implants have a unique CPT code for the insertion, one for removal, and one for reinsertion. We would use CPT code 11981 for the implant insertion along with the ICD code Z30.017 encounter for the initial prescription or insertion of the implant. We would use either CPT code 1192 for the removal only or 11983 for an exchange or removal with reinsertion along with the CPT code Z30.46 encounter for surveillance of the implant, which includes the routine checking, the removal, and a reinsertion of Nexplanon. Well, this has been very thorough, but one question I still have is, do clinicians bill for the LARC device itself 
or is that considered part of the insertion procedure though? There are currently five types of IUDs and each device has a unique HCPCS supply code that are reported separate from the procedure in order to get paid both for the procedure and the, that's happening and the expensive device. So we have J7296 for Kylina IUD, J7297 for Liletta, J7298 for a Mirena, J7300, which describes the copper Paragard IUD, and finally J7301 for the Skyla brand. Remember the supply code J7302 for Mirena was retired back in 2016. If you build J7302 now, which every once in a while I still do see, you will most likely receive no reimbursement and lose valuable revenue to your practice. Sometimes the charge for the device reported on the claim is less than the payer's contractual amount due to you, and the payer reimburses the lower reported charge because it's not set up correctly in your system, and you lose out on money due to you. So you need to make sure that your fees are set at or slightly above your highest payer's contractual amount to ensure that you don't lose out on contractual money that's due to you. Larks are expensive. Any missed payments or denials should be a top priority for billing resolution. Billing staff should audit LARC insertions for a one-to-one -one match each month. For every insertion, there should be a device accounted for. Finally, call your payer representative for further guidance or clarification if you don't understand why a service or device is unpaid. They can look directly at the claim and often give you helpful information to correct the issue. Denials that repeat over and over are a big waste of staff time and delays reimbursement. So resolving root causes as soon as you see an issue will benefit your whole team. We hope these tips will help you avoid common coding missteps impacting your reimbursement of LARC services. Remember, document all services provided, accurately code the services on the claim, and submit claims to your payers in a timely manner to ensure proper and full reimbursement of LARC services. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you, Anne, for joining us today and for sharing your time and expertise with our listeners. For more content, including previous podcast episodes, search for the Family Planning Files or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For transcript of this podcast, visit our website at www.ctcfp.org. While you are there, you can sign up for other events and continuing education opportunities, including our annual conference, as well as our online newsletter, Clinical Connections. You can also follow the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning on Twitter at NCTCFP, all lowercase, and now on LinkedIn. The National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning is funded by the Office of Population Affairs to provide continuing education, training, and technical assistance to Title X grantees, subrecipients, and service sites. This activity is supported by DHHS grant number one, FPTPA, 006031-01-00. The contents of this podcast solely represent the views of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official position of the Department of Health and Human Services, or DHHS, Office of the Assistant Secretary of Health, or OASH, or the Office of Population Affairs, or OPA. No official support or endorsement by DHHS, OASH, and or OPA for opinions or products described in this activity is intended or should be inferred. 
theme music written by Dan Jones and performed by Dan Jones and the Squids. Other production support provided by the Collaborative to Advance Health Services at the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Nursing and Health Studies. And finally, thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of The Family Planning Files.